welcome to yet another exciting episode of the Plastic Planet podcast with myself, Dr. Rafilwe. Today's episode is a bit different. We have a journalist in the house. I, I'm, I'm quite excited for this one. You know, there's, there's just so much to talk about. And, you know, because of that and that reason only, we have decided to have a two-part episode. So this, this week, essentially, you'll have, you know, the first part of the talk of the, the discussion. And we'll have a continuation, you know, next week, which will be then part two of, of our discussion here. So I'm... I'm so excited uh, for this one. I really just uh, am looking forward to what is it that we're going to, you know, to delve into. Uh, we have a Dr. Henry Count today. He is from uh, the University of Eswatini. And I think for me, you know, with with a journalist or journalism background, I was so interested in what really, you know, just influenced Dr. Count to come and, you know, be or to talk about the environment or to just really, you know, publish in that space because I looked at his publication index and it is so impressive. And also, you know, the, the type of publications that he, he just really, um, you know, goes for it's, it's also something that is not very popular in the you know journalist or journalism fields, if you will. So I I am looking forward to the conversation we are about to have, and I I hope you enjoy. Uh, thank you, Rafael. Um, my name is Henry Count Evans. I I teach journalism. I regard myself as a journalist who happens to teach imaging reporters. And I teach at the University of Eswatini in the Kingdom of Eswatini, formerly Swaziland. And um, my research interests are around three uh, key focus areas, all related to aspects of communication. But firstly, and primarily, it's climate change and environmental communication. That's where most of my work and publications are. Uh, I've moved, of course, broadly now to look at critical digital and social media studies. Uh, we have an upcoming book uh, that I was editing and also digital transformation uh, as a broad area, but also with a focus that's sort of related to media studies. So I would say that's briefly me, uh, slowly losing hope in humanity and our capacity to address the crisis. Okay, we'll we'll unpack that. We'll unpack why that is and how <laughs> that came about. But I, I, yeah. I think, you know, for you to just do so much and um, wear so many hats. By the way, uh, Dr. Henry <laughs> Counts is, is very young. And uh, yeah, yeah, just don't be fooled by all these, the list of accolades behind um, behind his name. And he, you know, just just because, you know, you are a journalist, you have a journalism background, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm very much interested in how did the climate change 
you know, interests come about and, you know, just in general, who is, who is Henry and uh, how, you know, just what was your upbringing like, you know, that influenced your interest uh, as, as it is now? Uh, I'll try and answer that in very disjointed ways. Um, so I'll start with the upbringing. Um, I grew up in, in, a, in the Midlands province of Zimbabwe, which is a, uh, semi-arid, uh, specifically in our, in our village. It's, it's a rural village um, south of the province and, of course, south of Zimbabwe. Um, in terms of uh, agroecological zones, I think we're around um, zone four, meaning that crop production is close to impossible. Um, but um, I don't think at some point I was thinking about that specifically and linking it to, to issues of climate. But when I went to do my undergrad, uh, I had an opportunity to get introduced to a UN-sponsored training that was around climate change mainstreaming. That was quite interesting. I applied, I got the fellowship. Um, I learned, I graduated. But uh, during the course of that training, uh, I was able to pick a number of things that um, there were debates around the climate issue, uh, but also that those debates were not taking place within the media landscape. And so I began to try and think, uh, what are the possibilities of researching this particular field? And what are the issues that are hindering the media from engaging in this debate. And by the way, just as a way of context, um, I'm talking specifically about the poor coverage and low profile of climate change within, at that time, the Zimbabwean media landscape. Uh, so I was interested in understanding, so what were the factors that were sort of hindering um, media coverage? And the that kind of focus gave me to Output. So the first one was a conference uh, in Thailand uh, that, of course, I, could, I couldn't attend, but I presented online. Uh, that was on um, the future of the planet and communication. And uh, that conference, of course, led to an edited book by one of the eminent scholars in our field, Jan Seves. And I did a chapter that looks at the factors that uh, stand in the way of climate change. And I looked at Africa, but also then I moved to my dissertation at undergrad uh, that then looked at the Zimbabwean context. And uh, I think ever since then, I've been in that particular sort of uh, landscape. Um, it's been quite interesting because when I went for the training, I was, oh, wow, that's interesting. There has to be something that has been done about climate change. Uh, the media should be communicating more, the media should encourage these discourses. Then when I did my master's, I looked at uh, the US, East Coast in the US and in the UK, Telegraph, The Guardian, Washington Post, New York Times, and how they covered the climate issue in relation to African aspects. So how these Western media uh, powerhouses were representing and talking about climate change Africa, issues that are affecting Africa. 
And I realized that in as much as there was coverage in the West, uh, the coverage course fell into the traditional kind of uh, news flows that sort of uh, afforded power to actors in the West. And uh, the idea of always looking at the South as victims. And um, yeah, I started thinking critically about the political economy of, of, of climate change and trying to think of the power dynamics that were taking place behind closed doors and how those power dynamics were then coming through the media unfiltered and how the foreign policy of particular countries became the news discourses of those countries with no criticism. Uh, at PhD, I started to turn things around, looked at South Africa and how South African media systems were talking about the climate crisis vis-a-vis -vis how they were talking about climate issues as they affected other countries and also the geopolitical contestations that, uh, of course, characterize climate negotiations. So it's been quite interesting. Um, over is, so now I think it's 13 years of researching the media and climate change. Yeah. Um, quite yeah. interesting. Uh, I've grown um, from optimism to, I don't know, uh, then, oh, we still need to do something. Yeah, that's so, me. Okay, that, that, let's unpack that. So in the journalism space, right? Um, because yes. uh, I, I come from the sciences, so my background is, you know, strictly sciences. Um, and, you know, the idea is to just, this is a problem that needs to be solved and you're there to solve it. And I, I think mm -hmm. just, you know, you did touch on the filtering of information um, in the journalism space. Do you think environmental information and reporting is filtered uh do you not do you think that it's not authentic what we hear is is not necessarily what's happening on the ground yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The, the, the fastest way to answer that is to say um there is gatekeeping um and um even in the environmental uh, space it, yes yes uh, quite extensively indeed um so if if you look at um there there are two maybe two maybe more but i will try and limit the, the answer to two aspects so in terms of trying to characterize environmental journalism um so it's either there is coverage and the or there's not so if there's coverage uh it's dependent on two things. Number one, whether the news media takes the environment as serious as possible. And if it does, then they actually have a desk in the newsroom that looks at that and they've reporters that have done some training or that are interested. Uh, or if they don't have interest, then they only covers and when there's a disaster. And oftentimes there is no attempt to link the disaster to climate change. Uh, then, in instances where there is interest in the climate issue uh, and the editors, they are sort of actively involved, there is extensive gatekeeping that happens at, I would say, maybe uh, three, four levels. The, the first one is on the choice 
of issues to cover. Yeah. Uh, and that choice is determined by editorial policies, which are themselves influenced by ownership and control patterns of that particular media institution. I'll give a very uh, sort of close example, but without mentioning names. In South Africa, we have a, a news media house that if you are to analyze its coverage of anything, it's very much neoliberal, it's capitalistic. So if you go down to analyze its coverage of climate change issues, it doesn't promote any view that talks against capital. Um, and the discourses that it promotes are discourses that are within the theological uh, limits of neoliberal response. So that newspaper at some point was denying that climate change is there. So if you look at their coverage from 2000, 2009, mm -hmm. they simply say science is not there. So they are sort of your conservative Republican sort of aligned. Uh, then suddenly they say, no, 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 science is now sort of agreed. There is a problem. But the only way to solve it is by introducing systems that are going to make sure that we continue with business as usual. Uh, we just eliminate coal and we bring solar or wind. We need more electricity after all. Uh, then there's another newspaper, um, my favorite. Okay. Uh, that is pro-environment and that is fought. Uh, because it's my favorite, I'll name it, it's the Melon Garden. Uh, that I fought extensively. Uh, what I think in South Africa is properly called the minerals energy complex. So they do uh, sort of filter the selection so they don't promote events uh, that sort of promote these companies. Second level is the, the language level. Uh, the, the language that they use, the choice of words, sort of becomes critical of the coal um, sector, the mining sector, um, and their stance becomes pro-poor. So yeah, there is a lot of, um, I would say maybe in fairness, journalism is not value free. It is always influenced by vested interest. And these interests are to be found in ownership, are to be found in advertising. And obviously you need advertising to survive if you're a media house and you wouldn't slander some companies that bring you money. Sure. That's what, yeah. Do you know, I think as you say this, I, I can't help but wonder, is this a global, issue or is it uh, a global south uh, challenge because you did you did mention that you know predominantly in south africa that is what we are we are you know just being told and i i think later on I'd, I'd just like to speak to you more about what we see on the ground versus what is uh you know what is being reported in the media 
because um, I, I, I think you just, you know, experienced uh, in the last few weeks that, you know, we started seeing flooding happening in South Africa. We started seeing, I mean, we've been seeing, you know, the um, pictures upon pictures of plastic that is just mismanaged and, um, you know, just that uh, it's end of life cycle is just really, you know, just mismanaged in, in for lack of a better word. But I, I think that we, we do need to to really just look into that to say um, how how real is journalism and how, you know, how detached is it from uh, from reality? But I think for the for now, is is it a, a global south challenge or is it a uh, worldwide challenge? Do you think? Uh, <clears throat> so it's um it's a universal journalism challenge. Um, so it's much better in South Africa. If you were to analyze the Wall Street Journal, the Telegraph, you'd be shocked. Um, so newspapers tend to sort of build their ideological walls very firmly, and they always want to support and sort of keep their bases intact. So if your base is the Republican base, the conservative base, you you sort of want to write things that resonate with the ideological imaginations of that particular cluster. Same applies to, uh, to people or newsrooms that are liberal. So you see a stark contrast between CNN and Fox News mm -hmm. because they belong in two different worlds. And it's difficult to find common ground. Uh, that, that is uh, a media challenge across the world. And um, I think in media, we often say that in as much as you're talking about what's on the ground, uh, the, the, the thinking behind that is that we are assuming that uh, the media would then reflect that which is happening on the ground. Uh, but I would say that the media has never reflected anything. Uh, what we see in the news is rather what the reporters are constructing for us to think that is what is happening. Uh, so the idea of reflection or mimicking falls off, and I think we move towards a very more realistic um, way of understanding the media operations. Uh, the media constructs whatever you see on TV is not real. It's and not real. Every news story that I've read is not real. It's a, it's a construct uh, that is meant to give us uh, some way of thinking. Uh, it allows us to, so the, the whole idea is to uh, give us a way of talking about things, uh, framing for us the way in which we should engage in debates and discussions. So I'll give an example. Uh, today, this evening, 
the spokesperson of uh, the Department of International Affairs in South Africa, DECO, uh, Clayton Munyela, was very ecstatic that South Africa is endowed with uh, natural resources, coal, gas, and was talking about offshore drilling in a tweet. Yeah. In this uh, day and age. Yes, but the government is ecstatic about it. But what would be interesting is how the media is picking it up. So you are going to find very interesting division. Uh, the liberal media is going to frame that as reckless. But a uh, majority of the media that are on the right to say, for you to cure load shedding and all the other ills that are there, you should, of course, step into natural resources. And uh, of course, that is good because South Africa needs a developmental space. Uh, so in as much as I was shocked that the government is celebrating that. But uh, they are doing that because they know that there is a particular camp sorry, that is going to be in support. So if you look at the news uh, today and tomorrow, it would be interesting to see how that is framed. Uh, there will be celebration that that is happening. You know, I think as you speak, I can't help but think of the power of the media, you know, just traditional media versus social media. I think you just touched on, he tweeted, right? And, yeah. um, you know, what traditional media would have been 20 years ago or even 30 years ago um, or even 10 years ago, I think, you know, it it's so different because it's not so streamlined now, right? Uh, I think 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you'd have, you know, a family sitting in front of a TV at a certain, you know, time and looking, watching the news or reading the newspaper or like the dad would read the same newspaper. Mm -hmm. So chances of everyone consuming the same thing was much higher in, in uh, you know, like 10 years ago versus now. Uh, I think, mm -hmm. you know, for instance, I haven't seen the tweet that came out and, um, you know, there's so many other platforms that are communicating various things, you know, just like how powerful is, is the media, is traditional media um, you know, at the moment, do you think it still has that power, it still carries that power to dictate the narrative or not so much? Um, the, my answer is going to be a little bit um, theoretical. I mean, this is based on the ideas that have been building, I think, for the past seven or eight years. Uh, so the mainstream media, we should, of course, understand that they don't exist in the form of newspapers that are physical and TVs that are in front of us. They also exist on social media. And um, if you analyze, for example, uh, the number of people that follow SAPC, uh, ETV, ENCA, and the key newspapers vis-a-vis -vis the number of people that follow community newspapers, community TV, and also the power of individuals, you'd still find that the media still plays a key role on two fronts. The first one, um, 
they do drive opinion through selecting that which should be debated. So it is easier for a mainstream dominant newspaper to send out a tweet and have a particular base echo that, uh, as opposed to someone like me sending a tweet with my identity followers, no one cares. Uh, so there is what I would call a continuation of offline tendencies that is now arrived online. And uh, the only exception that you have other individuals that are private people that have managed to also enter the space and become opinion leaders. But they extensively reference uh, the media. So they all get their credibility by referencing or giving comment to aspects that have been reported in the media. So there, there is a massive uh, continuity. If you look at the BBC offline and online, they are still a massive supplier of public opinion. Uh, social media has democratizes how we engage, but uh, it gives extensive centralization of power into the hands of those that have a huge following. And that is very dangerous for democracy anyway, but we have seen that happen. This uh, massive, extensive continuity of offline tendencies is now dominant. So a basic analysis of um, impression counts, followers and stuff, we find that the dominant media offline are still dominant online. They are still able to um, contribute towards debate and, of course, uh, sort of uh, in a very serious way, uh, shape public perceptions. So I'm afraid that is the scenario and yeah. social media is not democratized communications as we hoped. Sure. So in a sense, uh, would you would you agree in that you know that is probably the reason why you'd find that you know scientific or environmental communication on social media or engagement is not so is not as high you know is is that also driven by what the media dictates um, because I tell you you know um, for example if you are you go on social media and there's a tweet about ocean you know conservation plastic pollution if we if if that a tweet you know were to talk about climate change and um, ocean pollution then it would not get as as much you know a high, of a high engagement as you know would something else that is highly politicized and you know that the media is really just um you know behind if if that is driven by you know then main media and is dictated by the same um, sort of narratives that you uh, alluded to earlier on? Uh, partly, I think, yes, that is correct. Uh, and uh, the media, media production relies on sort of unevolving kind of attitudes. So when it bleeds, it leads. So yeah. the opposite is true. If it's not bleeding, it can't lead. 
so it can't be in the news. Uh, so we have a problem with news values that was news values about um, people that are high in high offices. They are about disasters with massive magnitude in terms of uh, the threshold, how many people died, uh, how many homes were swept away. Uh, so certain things, if they don't meet that threshold, they can be news. Uh, if there's no, um, uh, if there is no imagined uh, threshold, then it can't leave. Even if the subject deserves to be in the news, uh, but we are still to have news values that are going to cater for for science. And at one point, I interviewed an editor of a weekly newspaper. And he said to me, I asked him why. I mean, they, they'd gone for five years and they had two stories on climate change. Yeah. So I was asking him, what is wrong with the newspaper? He says, there's nothing wrong. We only report as and, as and when the news are available. So what that means is that if there's nothing that triggers a particular news value. So this is a typical uh, sort of... Um, programming. Yeah, sure. I think, you know, it, it just makes me think about the role, you know, platforms such as these, you know, like podcasts that are genuine and that want to to see change, um, you know, that, I mean, I, I, for instance, do not even have a journalism background and, uh, you know, the passion is just, listen, there is the, a challenge on the ground and there is this knowledge that we need to to share with the public and we need to to get word around, you know, as, as, as soon as possible, as fast as possible and get the correct, the correct, you know, just ears to just tap into that.